Chapter 37 The Swatting of a Fly When the Mater D told Herman that Dito lived on Blasjena Street in the Newtown section of the city, he didn't think anything of it, even after he began making his way there with Klaus in the Mercedes. He certainly couldn't know that this trip would forever bind my fate with his. It was only after the Mercedes again crossed the river did he realize they would be driving past an important landmark of his recent past, and not a good one. Previously, this had been known as Mazarek Station, and was now called Hibernska Station, and was where a train early one August day took Hermann to Theresienstadt. As the Mercedes approached the station, he recalled the day and he found himself returning to the onset of it. Herman was standing in his bedroom late at night next to Anna, who was sleeping peacefully on their feather bed. He was further dressed in Mr. Jacob's suit and ready to go, with his suitcase at his feet and a letter in his shaking hand. This was his way of making it easier on both of them, but especially on him. With his hand shaking even more, he placed the letter on the nightstand. It read, My dearest Anna, no words can express all I want to say to you, nor can they make up for all the hurt they will cause. For hours I've written and rewritten this letter, but it never improves and never could. So I will just say it. The day we've long known would come has come, and I must leave you. But you will not leave me. You will be with me wherever I'll be. The memories of you will hold me up. I will never let them go. While Herman anguished over the text of the letter, he anguished even longer over how to end it. He knew he had to do so in check, and that he couldn't say farewell to her. He couldn't use the word spohem which literally translates to go with God. So the last thing he wrote her was, Nuskledeno, until we meet again. Quickly, Herman grabbed his suitcase and left the apartment. But as he tumbled out the front door of his building, instead of finding himself on Alishka Krasnohorska Street in the dead of night, he was back in Klaus's Mercedes, facing the train station down the street. He tried not to look at the building or at any of its surroundings. He especially tried not to look at the train tracks. He looked in the opposite direction of all this. Still, he saw not only the station, but also the cattle car he came upon a few years earlier. That morning, the heat and humidity were oppressive, to the extent Herman could barely breathe which was made worse by the proximity of others like him. Amid dozens of them, he climbed onto the car carrying his suitcase in one hand and the crumpled-up pink deportation slip in the other. This made him recall similar cars from his army days. Forty and eights, they were called, because they could hold either forty soldiers or eight horses. But there were far more than forty people in the car and this was only increasing. These people pushed Herman toward the back of the car, 
guided by the Nazi soldier outside it, who had his weapon draped over his shoulder, not expecting the slightest problem. Resisting the pushing, Herman pushed back. He pushed his way toward the front of the car, so he could look outside in the direction of his home and where his Anna was, and keep doing this for as long as possible. But whenever he got close to the front, someone would always drive him back. Finally, he told himself that he wouldn't let anything more stop him from getting to the front of the car. He kept pushing, and at last he saw some light. This caused him to rush toward the car's edge. But instead of seeing the Prague skyline, he saw something unexpected. He saw Anna rushing toward him in the distance with her own suitcase. He saw, too, that their meeting again was to come much sooner than he had thought. Anna's death was the last part of this story I would learn from my grandfather. For years, much like how he refused to talk to me about his military service, he refused to tell me how she died. He wouldn't even tell my grandmother. He only relented when I stammered into the house at the culmination of all the times I had so disappointed him. Looking back at this moment, I recall something that Jorge Luis Borges once wrote, that no matter how long or complex your life may be, it comes down to the single moment in which you learn who you really are. Mine came on the first Yom Kippur after my bar mitzvah, only then was I allowed to say Kaddish, and I wanted to say it for my parents. And only then did I learn from my grandfather that they hadn't died. Actually, I learned that I didn't even know if they were alive. I understood even then why my grandfather didn't tell me the truth when I was a child. It would have been one thing if I had just been abandoned by my parents but not even knowing where my long-troubled mother was or who my father had been was as bad as learning that my grandfather wasn't really my grandfather and that my real one had been a Nazi. I can't describe what I felt upon discovering this, not even to myself. It was as if I had become two separate people, the quiet Jewish boy I had always known and the monster that was suddenly inside him. A monster full of hate. This was directed partly at my grandfather, but mostly at myself. The guilt and shame I felt, and still feel, was so overwhelming that I wanted everyone to hate me as much as I did, and I did everything I could to make this happen. I did things I can't even talk about, and for which I can never be forgiven. When I came home that night stumbling drunk, my grandfather was waiting for me at the foot of the staircase in his robe. I thought he was throwing me out, just like my grandmother had threatened, and much like I deserved. But instead, as I made my way toward him, ready to tell him off for good, he said to me, I watched her die. What? I muttered. He answered by nodding toward the empty spot on the step where he was sitting, and I sat beside him, and he finally told me what happened to Anna. When Herman first saw Anna approaching the train, he couldn't speak or even react. 
as this sight of her was too impossible to believe. He only knew it was real when she cried out his name as she pushed her way through the crowd. Herman would say that he didn't know how Anna ended up at the train station that morning, but I do. Herman had become something like a drug to Anna. From my conversation with Vera, I believe that, even before Anna had finished reading Herman's letter, she was looking for him. Her life had become too entwined with his, and couldn't be untwined. I can see her struggling to control the basic functions of her mind and body. I could see her gasping for breath. She had to do something to change this, no matter what it was. So she packed a suitcase and threw on her coat and shoes. Then, after throwing on a certain something else, she hurried out of the apartment with the suitcase and rushed toward her fate, which she was now only steps from. Only at this moment could Herman speak. No, he said at a volume he knew couldn't be heard. Stay back, he uttered seconds later, just a little louder. Stay away from the train, he screamed. This she heard as her head spun toward him, along with the mad desperation in her eyes. Desperation Herman could see meant that she was too far gone to be stopped. She was no longer rational, and she continued hurling herself into the mass of people being pushed onto the train. At first, the soldier pushed her forward, but when he noticed that she had neither a yellow star in her coat nor a pink slip of paper in her hand, he grabbed her arm, causing her to cry out like a wounded animal. You don't belong here, he howled. I do, she howled back. This is the only where I belong. But he dragged her away, and to stop her from screaming and struggling so much, he slapped her across the face with the back of his hand, though this just intensified her struggling. You won't, she hollered before clawing his face with her fingernails. You won't take my now from me. You won't. With just one hand, she pushed the soldier to the ground, and she ran through a small opening in the crowd to the front of Herman's car. What are you doing, he yelped, while again unable to comprehend what was happening. He was frozen, too. He couldn't make his body move. I'll be with you, she mumbled, as she reached the car and struggled to climb onto it with her suitcase. She struggled and struggled, and when she finally pulled herself on board among the stunned silence all around her, with both a smile and tears falling down her face, she added, I'll be with you wherever you'll be. But the soldier had now risen and was pushing his way through the crowd. Furious at what Anna had done and the humiliation it had caused, he removed his weapon from around his shoulder and jumped onto the car. There, with the casualness that he would have swatted a fly, he slammed the butt of his rifle into the back of her head, knocking her lifelessly into Herman's arms. Anna, he whimpered, as he caught her and smelled her perfume, the kind she only wore on special occasions, such as on their wedding day. At once the soldier tore her away from him, and he pushed Herman back into the crowd and onto the floor of the car. 
the last things Herman would see before they closed the splintery wooden gate in his face with a trail of blood and the soldier dragging his wife. He dragged her as if she were garbage that had been left in the road. For Herman, there was only one thing worse than watching all this, his inability to do anything about it. He had saved a dozen strangers at Verdun, but he couldn't save his own wife. All he could do was watch her die. In the moments after hearing all this, as I held my trembling grandfather on the staircase, I couldn't understand why he had told me. For a long time I couldn't understand. But I do now. I realize now that he was trying to tell me that you can't carry the weight of what others have done, even when this weight falls into your arms. Are you all right? Klaus asked Herman, as the Mercedes stopped in front of Dita's apartment building, and he saw the horror on his former friend's face. Like in front of the Maisel synagogue days earlier, Herman could hear the kindness in Klaus's voice. But he didn't want this. He wanted nothing to do with it. No, he growled while feeling his grief rush back, as well as a burst of hatred toward Klaus he couldn't control. I'm not all right. Would you like something to drink, murmured Klaus. A beer or perhaps something stronger. Let's just get this over with, Herman snarled. He meant these words. He wanted to finish the job as soon as he could, so he could face the same fate Anna had. He only hoped he could do so as fearlessly as she had. Hurriedly, the two men exited the car. In the same manner, they entered the apartment building and passed through a run-down lobby. On the second floor, they found Dita's apartment, about halfway down the corridor from the stairwell. Here Herman sucked in as much air as he could in order to compose himself, and he knocked on the door. But the only response came from down the hall. There's nobody there, spoke an elderly female voice. Both Herman and Klaus turned toward this, and they saw an old woman pulling a small and empty shopping cart toward them. The girl moved out weeks ago, the woman added. You don't happen to know where she moved to, do you? Herman asked. I don't happen to know, the woman replied. What about the landlord? Herman then asked. He won't be able to help you either, the woman answered. She left like a thief in the night. She didn't even close the door. Herman sighed at this as the woman passed them on the way to the stairs before he and Klaus slowly followed her. Now what, Klaus muttered. I have an idea, Herman told him. Quickly, the two passed the woman on the stairs and returned to the building's lobby, and Herman stopped in front of Dita's mailbox, which he pointed at while saying, As Colonel Riedel told you last night, it's not like you have to worry about getting into trouble with the law. Klaus nodded and he fished out the Aaron Dolch dagger all SS men carried with them. With this, he broke open Dita's mailbox, which caused a bunch of mail to pour out of it onto the floor. Herman picked this up and pulled out what remained in the mailbox. In the latter, 
he found a handwritten envelope with the return address from a Yitka Preislerova, who lived in the Pankrat section of the city, which is a handful of kilometers south of where they were. Do you think that could be her mother, Klaus uttered? We'll find out soon enough, Herman uttered back. <laughs>